Meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. This is Follow the Leaders on KCLR, funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. You're very welcome along to Follow the Leaders on KCLR, where each week we hear from the people who are leading the way and have already made the changes necessary to meet the challenges posed by climate change and who are make, who are taking steps to reduce their carbon footprint. I'm Deirdre Drummy and I'm also joined by my co-presenter Robbie Dowling and we'll be with you until seven o'clock this evening. Robbie, how are you doing? Yeah, very good, Deirdre. Thanks. Robbie, throughout the series, we're covering topics such as travel and transport, food and waste, the circular economy and lots more. But our focus over the last couple of weeks has been on home and energy and that continues tonight. So what's on the agenda for the programme? Yeah, so we'll be looking at energy in the home specifically tonight. Um, Senior engineer with the South East Energy Agency, Alex Hamilton, is back to tell us about the different ways we can make our homes more energy efficient, I suppose. Um, Local homeowner Fiona Donnelly also tells myself about the practicalities involved in amending a home uh, to be more environmentally friendly. And that was a really interesting conversation with Fiona. But first, Kilkenny County Council's Environmental Awareness Officer Bernadette Maloney looks at the practical steps we can take in every walk of life to make energy more sustainable. I began by asking Bernadette what her own role entailed. Well, I've actually been the Environmental Awareness Officer with Kilkenny County Council for 14 years. So my brief is very broad. So the post originated really from the development of one of the first uh, waste management plans. So they thought it would be a good idea to have somebody on the ground kind of to promote sustainable living and to tell people what they should be doing with their waste and recycling. So that's really how it originated. But it has really developed over the years. And I suppose I'm in a very uh, advantageous position is that I that the, the job evolves as the years roll on. So um, my job can change in relation to national policy and I get directed in in relation to, you know, what's what's uh, the priorities in relation to the environment and my my workload is really dictated to what's on what's happening out and about. So it, it's, it's a really lovely job and it's very fortunate. Um, it's great because I'm on the ground. I work with communities. I work with schools. Um, so I really do. I, I really do love my job. It's a really great great post to have in the County Council. And obviously 14 years is such a long time but I think (laughs) our attitudes towards the environment have changed an awful lot in that 14 years. You mentioned development of the job and how it's progressed. What are the changes that you've seen from the start all the way up to now? Well I think especially in the last four years I think I've seen a huge change. So Back in the early days, I would have been trying to get invited to talk to people, where in the last four years, people are banging on my door and inviting me. So that's really very, very encouraging. Um, And like we would work with national campaigns. So I would always have a lot of news to tell and tips to give. So uh, back in the early days, I would have talked about home composting. But now there are services out there that you can present your your food waste for uh, industrial composting. So all the urban areas now have um, a, a food bin. And that's going to be expanded in the coming years as well. So that's one little change. And food waste is a huge priority because back in the day when I started, everybody was either home composting or they were putting it into their general refuse bin along with their kind of their dirty rubbish. And now in the last couple of years, it's been seen as a huge resource. We see that, well, actually, if we take it, um, if we take it and separate it out, we can make it, make it into composting, compost and we can use it. So now it's a, a, a treasured resource rather than seen as a waste. So that's one very simple thing 
thing that I, I, I've seen changed over the years. And, you know, Ireland is progressing and in line with Europe as well. There's a lot of systems coming in place to make things easy. So really, I see my role is to, to ensure that I make the information as understandable and to be able to pitch it at people at the, the right level. And really, the stuff I the stuff I tell people, it's not rocket science, but just people need to, to be informed. And you mentioned there that you're lucky enough to be in a position where you're on the ground. Again, to go back, I suppose, 14 years, have you noticed that there's more of an interest and an intrigue, I suppose, from people across all the spectrum, you know, different demographics of society or whatever it may be, in environmental protection? Absolutely. I suppose when I work with green schools and I work with kids in schools and teachers, like they've always been super enthusiastic. The adults might have been a little less so in back in the years. But now I think everybody's very keen. They're all keen to do a climate action. They want to participate. They want to help. But I think sometimes they can be a little bit overcome uh, in relation to what they can do. So I break it down into the very small steps um, that kind of small, easy projects both individuals and communities can do you know to to start making the change because like all small steps matter collectively we have a huge power so it's really to inform everybody of, of what they can do uh, to do their part do you think that's key for your role and just in general small steps that you don't overwhelm people with the bigger things and that we actually explained that it's very viable and feasible for people to make these small st- changes that will make a big change in the future yeah, so I, I see myself as, as trying to build people's capacity and community's capacity, like start off with something small, get a, a quick win, and then they can move on to something a little bit more difficult. And it's great now in the current climate, there's a lot of grants out there as well available for communities. But you know, no community can start off with a huge project. So over the years, I would have been administrating a fund. It was the local Agenda 21 fund, and then it migrated to the Community Environment Action Fund. And that provided small funds funding for groups to do small projects and then I've seen communities blossom and grow and they may transition away from my funding but they'd be going after the larger funding that's available like leader funding but you know they get the confidence and experience with the small funding and then they can move on so I think it's I find it very heartwarming to think that actually you know I've helped them on their journey you know I I, I got them going I gave them the encouragement and that's I I would see myself as kind of the a synergy to try and and get people moving and to point them into the right direction and get them to see the the possibilities that are out there. And how is it that you got into this line of work Bernadette? Um, I was always very keen on nature and the environment, environmental protection when I was very young. So back in the day when the Greenpeace boat was out on the oceans when I was like about 10, you know, I was super informed. So that really led me to do science in UCG um, after school and I specialised in zoology and botany. So my father was a little bit aggrieved because he thought I'd never get a job. <laughs> so I went on and I did a master's in environmental science to kind of broaden out my scope straight after my degree. And then I worked in the private sector for five years. So I worked as an environmental consultant. So that really gave me a strong basis in relation to kind of environmental protection on the ground and working with industry. And then I decided I'd migrate over um, because I kind of like dealing with people. And in the environmental consultancy, I found that some of my clients were uh, they were a little bit sluggish to take on my recommendations. You know, they, they, they were really working with environmental consultants because they were told they had to they might have been going through planning or you know um so i i would have preferred to work with people that were a little bit more enthusiastic so that's why i migrated over to the local authority 
And it's interesting that you mentioned that. I suppose ESG is something that a lot of private companies talk about now. Um, do you think it's something you mentioned there that maybe they were forced to do it back in the day? Do you think it's something that everybody is more conscious about now, including the private sector, who I suppose their primary focus is to turn a profit? Yeah, and like you can even see it now, employees are preferring workplaces that have, you know, a better environmental standard. So it's taken as a consideration when, you know, people are looking at where they want to work. So I think it has really gone full circle. I think it has it has really turned itself in its head. And I would see that as well. Like I'll, I would uh, work with communities and events now to green the events. So people, people do want to do the right thing and they do want to start on the journey. So the journey can be quite, quite long but again I'm there to try and say okay pick one action work on the action this year return to it next year and build on your success of the first year so but I, I do definitely see there's a, a lot more people are are open to it and they're far more agreeable to take on actions that might hit their purse to be fair and um, some of the greener solutions are a little bit more expensive um, but I think people are far more aware and they're they, they know that they're paying a little bit extra to ensure that the event or the venue that they're going to is, has a better environmental performance. And obviously we're only coming off the back of the COVID-19 pandemic. How tough was it to implement all the changes that we've mentioned already and your ideas during the pandemic when everything was closed down? Well, um, I had to swap roles at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so I was put on the uh, community COVID hotline. So um, I was there for about six weeks to set up the system because I have my community kind of networks there. Um, a lot of people were put on to, to set that system up because we kind of knew the layout of the, the county and we knew the stakeholders. So for a little while, I had a little pause in my own job. Um, to help out with the the COVID response. But then I came back um, out of really need because everybody was out walking in their local areas and one of the issues that popped up was um, dog fouling, which um, is one of my duties. So we had to do a huge awareness campaign to kind of love where you live within your 2K and your 5K. So we we just had to to pivot and and to to do things a little bit differently. So like a lot of the services at the County Council, we went online. There was a lot of online workshops. so, you know, we, we, we just had to pivot a little bit differently. And as coming out of COVID then, Kilkenny County Council is a great employer because they give you a little bit of wriggle room to try new things out. So some of your listeners may have come across my musical bin. So as the restrictions were starting to wane um, and the tourism industry was starting to pick up again, I decided that we'd, some musical bins around Kilkenny City would be, you know, be able to put a f- couple of smiles on people's faces. So we, we uh, worked with... Um, with a stakeholder to, to try and put musical bins out around the city for a little bit of crack and you know it was something a little bit the local authority is great that they, they'll give you that chance to, to be innovative and to, to try something so the musical bin lasted for about a month and then we had to it had to go into retirement but it was a bit of crack so you know we're in a fun and en- entertaining way because you know people get bored of being lectured to so you know we have to take a, a, a different uh, a different tack to it and try and make it um, as as approachable as possible for people. And when we're talking about the topics, I suppose, or the topic rather of renewable homes, how does the council help promote that and how do they help people make it? As you say, not shout down to them, I suppose, but actually just explain it in a way that this is something that you can do yourself. 
Yeah, so this area is really expanding and it will continue to expand in the local authority. So, um, for instance, this time last year, myself and my colleague in Carlow County Council, we would have uh, ran an energy week um, and it was awareness about our uh, the library home energy kits. So there's kits sitting in libraries in both Carlow and Kilkenny that uh, library, um, library members can borrow and they give you small little um, jobs to do around the house to see how energy efficient your home is. So it's like a book. It's a little blue briefcase with a couple of um, instruments in it um, to check it out. So, you know, the local authorities are always trying to give real practical solutions to people. And that's what like really is what I love doing is trying to implement practical things at a level that is, you know, that is appropriate, especially for householders. But now as well, the local authorities, all local authorities across Ireland are setting up climate action offices. So we now have a climate action officer and there is going to be, um, th- there's going to be about a team of four people leading the, the climate uh, climate office. So we do appreciate that it's a huge area that we have to, we, uh, we have to again adapt to. So there's going to be a climate action plan for the county and there's going to be a community climate uh, officer as well. So there's a lot of grants now available out there. So we have to try and assist um, both householders and businesses across the county to try and 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 to and to apply for those grants and give them the guidance that they need and give them the technical assistance that they need as well. So it's it's definitely an area of growth and I think the local authority is is um, is going to be well prepared and well positioned because um, we are a very face to face organisation but we also have so many stakeholders around the county. We're very well networked within the county to be able to deliver that service to the people. And you mentioned there how important practicality is for people so that they can make the changes. But you've also alluded to the fact that maybe some of the changes do hit your purse or your wallet, whatever it may be. With that in mind, do you feel it is something that everybody or as many people as possible can implement, that they can make the change in their home, on, in their own homes to make it more renewable? Well, I think it, it can be more sustainable that, you know, th- some small measures, there's there's no cost, you know. So, for example, if you want to do a climate action today, we all generate waste. In Ireland, uh, we generate 14 million tonnes of waste per year. It's, you know, it's huge. But as, as a householder, you're really the end user. So, you know, you're buying the packaging in, you know, from your products. So on a national level, you know, the likes of Repack are working with the producers to try and make sure that their packaging is as environmentally friendly as possible. Nationally, they're putting in schemes to try and make sure that, you know, the the amount of packaging and the level of recycling is going to be increased. So a good example of that is the introduction of the deposit and return scheme. So in 2024, uh, Ireland is going to finally catch up to mainland Europe and have a return scheme for plastic bottles and drink cans. So again, the consumer is going to be there'll be an additional charge of about 20 cent on your beverage but you'll get that back when you bring back the container so it's essentially like you're renting the container and they want you to bring the container back because we have to catch catch that packaging and bring it back into the into the recycling loop and that's going to increase the capacity of the circular economy which we're going towards in the last 10 years I would have done a lot of work on waste prevention so you know it, it's grand to recycle and it is a good thing to do however if you prevent the waste in the first place so if you don't generate the waste that's actually better for the environment so the deposit and return scheme that's something really I see two benefits for it's going to catch the recycle it it's going to 
be better quality so there's going to be um, a better quality of material um, going to be delivered for recycling and also my one bug bearer and all the bug bearers of communities across both Carlow and Kilkenny is litter so I think it's going to have a massive impact on roadside litter because strewn cans and bottles are one of the main components that you'll see on the roadsides and with this uh, deposit and return scheme I think that's going to eliminate a lot of the roadside litter which I'm very excited about. I think we all are in fairness the the deposit and return scheme something that you mentioned there obviously um, and you you mentioned the fact that maybe that will help us catch up with mainland Europe With, with that in mind not just with that scheme but with everything generally how far off are where we need to be you know where would you like us to be and how far away are we from that at the moment well I think we're still a very much a consumer society so we use a lot and if we use a lot we have a lot of waste at the end and you know that has impacts uh, across the whole environmental spectrum if we consume loads we're wasting loads. So I think our consumerism um, needs to slow down. Um, There's a new waste plan coming out. So there... um Previously, there would have been three waste plans for the country and now they're kind of amalgamating them and they're having one national plan. But it's actually going to be titled the waste plan for the recircular economy. So the circular economy now is going to be the new theme um, in in the coming years. And that is going to be coming out in a draft plan and um, the government are going to be looking for um, public feedback on it. It's going out on public consultation. So it's it's a very exciting time for us, but also go, looking further back at the chain. So I'm, I'm working with the end user. So, But we also have to have government working with the producers, with the manufacturers, making sure that the products arriving in Ireland and being made in Ireland are sustainable, like that they have an appropriate life cycle. Like I have to try and make the kids aware that like, yes, if you go in and buy something very cheap and plasticky, you know, you know, it might be a quick reward hit for the youngster, but it's not very sustainable, you know. So there are big industry looking at that. But I think as consumers, we need to put the pressure on up the line to ensure that, you know, our consumption rate decreases, because really in Ireland, we don't we're not very sustainable with our with our waste and how we deal with it. A lot of it is exported uh, abroad. So systems need to be put in place to help the householders to be able to do the right thing easy. If there's a system in place, it's it's easy for the consumer. So an example of that is uh, we Ireland would recycle all the electrical waste, all the household household electrical waste, and they would work with each county, both in Carlow and Kilkenny, they would organise their collection days. So in the past, electrical waste would have been something that we would have seen dumped illegally out in the countryside and now we, we don't see much of it at all because the consumer knows where to bring their their, their end of life kind of electrical products so they can bring them back to the retailer but they can also take advantage of the recycling days and also all the, all the recycling centres take them back as well. So I think for the local authority it's to put us in a system and to make it as easy as possible for people to make the right choices. I think that's the way to go. Kilkenny County Council's Environmental Awareness Officer Bernadette Maloney there giving us an insight into the changes we can make in our homes and daily lives that as she said herself will go a long way. We're going to take a quick break now but coming up we'll be hearing from Alex Hamilton Senior Engineer with the South East Energy Agency. Don't go away. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLOR. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. I'm Deirdre Drummy and I'm also joined by Robbie Dowling. Robbie, we're going to continue our conversations now um, with Alex Hamilton. And this is a continuation from your discussions with her last week. Yeah, as you said there, uh, Deirdre, I continued my conversation with Alex last week, focusing more so on the home this week. Um, she spoke to me about a range of topics concerning us all, I would say. Uh, when, especially when we talk about our homes and the energy use within them. Um, I began by asking Alex what sustainability in the home actually is. I guess sustainable home energy is looking at uh, how you're using energy in your home and making sure you're using it as efficiently as possible. And when we talk about efficiency in this area, what does that mean? Because I suppose it's a word that's used a lot, but what does efficiency actually look like? Uh, that's a good question, Robbie. Efficiency is really, you know, using only what you need um, and reducing the waste. So, you know, very simple, uh, very, very simple example is you come home from work and you switch the, the, the hall light on and, and walk into the living room, switch the living room light on. And then you all go into the kitchen for two hours to make your dinner and to, to, to have, you know, to, to eat and catch up as the family. Um, and you've left all the lights on uh, and that's waste. So being efficient is turning those lights off uh, after, after, after you've left the areas. So it's just reducing the waste. Do you think people are more conscious about that now, the fact that, you know, they go into a room and you leave a light on? Maybe is it happening less and less, do you feel? Or how has that trend gone over the last number of years, I suppose, particularly? Yeah, that's 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 a hard one to tell, and I guess every individual homeowner will 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 know the answer to that themselves. Um, certainly, I think people are much more aware of it. Again, certainly in the last uh, six to twelve months, with the with the um, uh, with the war in Ukraine and the uh, crisis that we're having with our energy and the increase in energy bills, so certainly every homeowner, I'm sure, is much more aware of it, um, and therefore, I'm sure, are much more aware of making those making those small changes. And in your role, have you found that people are still, maybe understandably so, but they're, they're very focused on the, the short term in terms of the, the massive increase in costs, it must be said, and maybe aren't thinking longer term? Or do you almost try and use it in the sense that, you know, this maybe was coming a long way down the line and now is the time to change and everybody will actually row in behind it because it is hitting their pockets? Yeah, I think that increase in pricing of, of, of fuels was always coming and it's uh, something, again, I've been in this uh, uh, sector for, for 10, 12 years and it's something we have been talking about and something that we have seen that, that you know, was going to happen at some point in time. Now that it's happened so dramatically in the last, uh, in a very short period of time, um, certainly everybody is much, much more aware uh, in a in a very quick, as I said, very short period of time. Um, the price, the price um, increase, I think, was always and will continue. I don't, you know, in a sense, it will it will come come down, but it's not. I don't believe will come down to uh, what it was uh, previously, um, because again. Even without the, uh, the 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 war, the reliance of imported um, fossil fuel, uh, you know, will come to an end, and that is something that, that we will see. And therefore, we need to, um, you know, produce our own energy here in Ireland, and that can and, and and that will come, and that is happening, and that will come, and we'll have to increase uh, at a quicker rate. Again, it's just making us much more aware in a very short period of time. So again, renewables and and and, and locally generated uh, electricity and, and and fuel isn't something that is new, but it's just something that's become much more focused in the last uh, six to twelve months. So everybody's just a lot more aware of it. 
you, you touched on some of them there but when you talk about production of our own energy in Ireland what is that? Um, that can come from many sources so again in general we're to, you know we don't have big oil and gas fields we, we, ha- we have limited um, but but uh, you know that's not something that uh, that, that we uh, can rely on or should be relying on and certainly not something that we should be uh, relying on long term um, so when we're talking about locally uh, un- uh, uh, produced and generated energy we're looking at renewables whether that's uh, wind energy whether it's hydro energy solar energy um, and again you know, everybody thinks, so oh, Ireland has no sun, we can't produce solar energy. Yes, we can. Uh, you don't need uh, to be living in, in, in the south of Spain on a nice hot sunny day to produce uh, solar energy. We can produce and do produce solar energy here in Ireland. Um, and biomass. So biomass uh, can play a, and, and will play a very large part in, in our own homegrown uh, generated uh, energy sources. You, you mentioned a lot of different types of energy there. And I, I know you, you think that is achievable in the kind of short and longer term. How do we actually achieve that, though, in terms of implementing those different types of energy in comparison to what we've been using for many years now, decades, really? Again, there's lots of people and lots of players in, 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 in this. Uh, and, and, and every one of us, again, has a, has a role to play here. So... Again, it's a, a change of um, attitude, perhaps that you know, if there's going to be a, a wind farm nearby or something, you know, it's 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 we we still unfortunately have this not in my backyard mentality sometimes. So again, we're just going to have to, as a society, uh, understand that if we want the lights on and if we don't want blackouts in our grid, that we are going to have to look at these alternative sources and these local sources, and that means that somewhere within our region here in the southeast there will be wind farms there will be solar pv farms um so again it's just about all of us playing that part to 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 change our attitudes as to what that's going to mean um again from a policy level that needs to come from from um from government so what are the policies in relation to the different renewables what are the planning regulations in terms of the different uh, renewable um, generation uh, sources. What are our community benefits? How is the community going to benefit from this? If if we decide to put a wind or a solar farm in, in a community, how are they going to benefit locally? So again, it's about all of these um, key policy drivers and these uh, stakeholder groups working together. We all have to work together. And if we bring it back down to an individual and a personal level, what are the best ways in which people can adapt their daily lives to help support the environment do you feel with a particular focus on the home yeah there's 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 and again <laughs> the home is 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 a is, is a uh, easy in some ways um you know if you have a, a um uninsulated house for example so your number one um uh, saver in terms of energy and re- reducing your energy uh, in a home is to make sure your home is insulated. So in general, and again I'm going to generalise here, around 70% of a home's energy is from heat and hot water and about 30% is electricity. So again if we're, so we're looking at the heat and if we are heating an uninsulated house then half of that heat is going out of the house. So by insulating your attic and your walls that's the absolute 
best two things that you can do in, in your house is to make sure that your house is insulated and the attic and the walls again depending on the house type if you have cavity wall or if you have a, a solid wall it's going to depend on on the type of insulation you can do but it, again in general the, the the best bang for your buck as we say is to make sure your your attic and your walls are insulated uh, from a thermal point of view um, to reduce that heat loss how are we producing that heat? So let's look at, do we have an old oil boiler? Do we have an old gas boiler? Do we have a heat pump or a biomass boiler? So again, how are we heating the house? And are we doing that efficiently? How are we controlling that heat? Is the heat on all of the time and we go out to work for six hours? Or are we you know, using proper controls? Are there thermostats in the room so that, for example, in the evening when we're in the living room, we want the living room nice and warm, but we don't need to be heating the upstairs until an hour before we go to bed or, um, or, or other such examples so it's really just looking at how are we using the heat what type of heat are we putting into the house and then how are we controlling it uh, are we wasting it without uh, uh, through uninsulated uh, building fabric um, in terms of hot water exactly the same so how are we producing our hot water is it uh, is zoned separately so again in general most houses will have the, the same boiler that does the space heating will do your hot water but is that controlled separately so for example again if your hot water uh, sorry if your heating is on all of the time does your hot water need to be on the whole time as well in general no it doesn't so are we controlling them separately so that uh, kind of looks at the the, the, the heating uh, and, and hot water side of the of the house we then look at the electrical side um, and again in general, you know, do we have lights on when we don't need them? How are we controlling the lights? Do we have LED bulbs? And again, a lot of the questions that we get, you know, a lot of the times, well, what's the difference going to be if I put in an LED bulb? Um, the difference between a, a, a CFL or an old incandescent bulb, if anybody still has an old incandescent bulb in their house, they really are, 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 are a long way behind. So that's the number one thing to do. Um, but again, most mostly in general, when you go into the shops now to buy your new light bulbs, the majority of them are LEDs now. Um, but if you are looking at whether it's worth getting an LED versus a, a CFL or, or another type of bulb in the shop, and you will see again, and I'm, I'm well aware of it. You'll look at the price of an LED bulb versus a, a non-LED bulb and go, gosh, that's quite a bit a bit more expensive. But the lifetime that you will get out of that bulb is much, much longer, so you won't be changing it as often. And the energy cost between that bulb and a non-LED bulb is significant. So again, it's looking at um, all of these things in terms of lighting. It's not just the cost of the bulb. It's the, it's the ongoing, how many times am I going to change it? How much energy am I going to save? And in, you know, in general... LED bulbs are a no-brainer. Every house should have LED bulbs. It's 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 a no-brainer. That's the number one. Another tip is, you know, um, to make sure that all of your appliances are switched off. So again, leaving things on standby, switching your TV off with the remote and heading off to bed and leaving it on standby. Again, it can all add up. So these are only small changes. And I know that a lot of people will think, oh, that's not going to make a big difference. But actually, it does make a big difference. And if we all start to make those small changes, then we will all add up to big differences. Do you think as well that, you know, you talk about maybe LED light bulbs as an example there, but that while the change on the face of it might seem like it's more costly from a financial perspective, actually in the long run that these things, making these changes will benefit people because, as you said, there won't be as much use usage, not as much change and that they'll just buy it once compared to maybe buying it three or four times in comparison to maybe less efficient ways. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's about again, it's about changing our um, 
changing the way we look at things and you know what's important to us uh, you know is 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 it more important to save a couple of euro at the till when you're buying that bulb or is it more important to to, to look at it and go well actually I'm making a difference here Senior engineer with the South East Energy Agency, Alex Hamilton, they're chatting to Robbie. And Robbie, moving on, at the start of the programme, you said we'd be hearing from a local homeowner who has made changes to their home. Tell us a bit more. Yeah, I chatted with local homeowner Fiona Dunley about, um, as you said there, Deirdre, the various changes that she's made to her home. And as you'll hear in the piece, she has made a lot of significant changes. Uh, She's actually quite open about the benefits of it from you know, a financial perspective, which everyone will be interested in, but just generally for her home and the environment as well. So it was a really kind of refreshing conversation. She brought myself through the process of doing it and why it's something that other people should be looking at if they're in the position to do so, that is. Um, First off, I asked her to explain how she went about changing her own home. We completed our house in 2009. Um, and although our house is not as old, it's not an old house, but there's much higher standards now for energy efficiency. Um, if it was a case you were building your house now, you would have to put in um, like a, a heat recovery system or a, a heat pump, something like that. Whereas when we were doing it, you didn't have to. But we were very conscious of trying to make it as energy efficient as possible. So we researched what was available on the market at that time to increase the efficiency. Um, so what we ended up doing is we did the spray foam insulation in the attic and we put insulated slabs on the inside of all the external walls. We, we focused mainly on things that we couldn't do retrospectively. Um, and sort of cut down on what we paid for other things um, because we knew that they would be the things that would be worth the money um, down the line. Um, In relation to the heating as well, we went for the geothermal heat pump. Um, They were kind of new on the market at that stage, so it kind of was a risk going down with those. And we decided to um, run it on electricity. Some people have heat pumps that might be run on oil, etc. But we said we go with electricity because we said that down the line, there would be a chance that we could um, maybe generate electricity ourselves so that we wouldn't have to do the changeover from oil to electricity to do it. Um, and we also put in a day-night meter. So what we did is we set the heat pump to run mainly at night when the electricity was cheaper. So that's basically where we started in, in 2009. And then fast forward to 2021, um, and we noticed the energy prices were increasing and increasing. Um, so we decided we'd go down the road of a solar system. So basically what we have, we have 2,400 watt panels, which give us a total of an 8 kilowatt system. And we also input a battery. We have a 5 kilowatt battery. Um, The other thing that we did at that stage as well is we upgraded all of the heating controls. So we replaced and upgraded all the room thermostats, all the manifolds and all the actuators. So basically this gives us more information as to what's happening in each room and it gives us control over each room independent of the others. So if it was a case that there was a room that wasn't being used, we could turn down the thermostat and, and not have um, electricity going there. Um, we've also ordered now another 5 kilowatt battery um, and we're hoping to have that installed before the summer. And that will bring us to a capacity of 10 kilowatts for our battery storage. Um, and our aim for getting that is that what we're hoping to do is to charge the battery on our night saver rate, which in most cases is, is at least half of the daytime rate. So then we're coming into the daytime with 10 kilowatts and we can use that then during the day instead of having to um, import some of the dearer electricity for during the day. So that's where we are at the minute, Robbie. Yeah, it all sounds really interesting and fascinating and it's quite educational as well. But you mentioned there it goes all the way back to 2009 and more work was done again in 2021. How did the idea to do all of this work originally come about? 
Um, we've always been interested in being as energy efficient as we can and also to be as energy independent as we can be. Um, I've always thought that after mortgage, the next biggest cost in relation to your home is your heat and electricity. So um, I try to have the two into one. So I have my only energy cost in the house is electricity. So our aim was always to make it as efficient as possible so that it costs less to run. So basically what we're saying is we want to future-proof it so that when we get older, the house is not going to be a constant drain on us because of the cost it takes to run it. So the more that we can do now to future-proof it, the better it will be for us down the line. And what were the elements you had to think about before you went forward with the plans, Fiona? Um, in our case, I suppose the main thing would have been the cash flow. That would have been the biggest element because we already knew what our, our next step was. Um, basically, it was the last step in our energy upgrade because, the, you know, going from one thing to another, this was the next stage and the last stage. Um, so we were lucky as well that we'll say with with the installation of the solar panels and the upgraded heating controls, there's very little disturbance to the house. So we didn't have to worry about that. I know that a lot of people, when they're thinking of energy upgrades, the first thought is, oh, the house will be in a mess and it's going to disrupt everything and it kind of puts people off. But definitely in, in relation to this, it doesn't. So the only thing really was, was the, the cost of it. That was the only thing that we had to consider before we went forward with this. And what length of time did it take to get all of this done? Because it sounds like a lot of work, but um, how long did it actually take uh, from, was it months, weeks? Uh, it probably took about six weeks in total um, from us making the decision, yeah, now it's time to do it. We see the energy costs rising day by day. Um, and then to choose the right supplier and, you know, give them all the information that they need to tell us what size of system that we need. Um and then to get the panels installed and then get the inverter installed. So it took about six weeks. But we moved on the project in mid-2021, so there wasn't the same demand on solar suppliers like there is now. So I know now that you know people are waiting a lot longer and there's sort of short supply, I think, especially in relation to batteries at the minute. Um, but we were very lucky. We, we kind of moved on it before a lot of people moved on it, so we didn't have to wait an excessive amount of time. And you mentioned there cash flow from your own point of view and maybe the financial cost of it. it it's something that kind of crops up constantly when we're speaking about this topic what was the financial impact or was there a financial benefit of actually going forward with these plans yeah absolutely everything in itself um if it's the case this is your first step there are a lot of things that you can do and a lot of things before you get to we we'll say the solar panel end of it um all depending on your budget and all depending on where ha- your house is to start with so we'll say with the um, the solar, for us, it was it was a no-brainer because our full um, cost in the house was electricity. So we had electricity bills of €400 Euro a month, and this was before the energy cost rose to the level they're at. So they've definitely gone up three times, so our monthly bill would have been 1200 Now, you might think it's it's quite large, but we that's everything. Like, we don't have an oil bill or a gas bill. That was for everything that was... For, and we have a, a self-contained apartment. So it would have been two fridges, two freezers, two washing machines, two dryers, um, and then the heating as well. So it would have been 1200 a month, whereas we see a huge advantage now um, because we produce an awful lot of our own electricity. That was local homeowner Fiona Donnelly chatting to Robbie about the changes she has made in her home and lots of information there. Um, Robbie, just looking back over today's programme, and the conversations, as well as the programmes from over the last couple of weeks with our focus on home and energy. What have you taken from those conversations? I suppose from Alex's perspective, first of all, it was just a really educational piece. 
it was kind of exactly the sort of conversation that I was hoping to have beforehand because for myself anyway it answered a lot of the questions that I had about this particular subject and it simplified it for me anyway so that was kind of the biggest takeaway I had from Alex's perspective. Yeah, where um, she's talking about the simple changes we can make looking at insulating yeah. homes as a starting point. Yeah, that's exactly it. Just kind of, she just she just brought it down to a, to a very basic level and I think for somebody like myself and, and I'd, I hope to think that anybody listening in as well, it, it kind of, it was very easily explained by her and we could all understand it and relate to it. So that was probably my biggest takeaway with Alex. Um, for Bernadette, it was kind of good to get more of an understanding of the work that Kilkenny County Council are doing in this particular area. I think the main thing I liked with Bernadette especially was the fact that she spoke about kind of gaining small wins yeah. and then moving on to something bigger each time that you do it. So just kind of constantly developing from a starting point. And that's the only way to not become overawed by it, I think. Um, and that's a key word for me because sometimes when you are overawed, it can be the biggest obstacle in place when it comes to implementing the sort of changes that we're talking about in our own lives and, and you know, just generally... Uh, but that doesn't have to be the case. And I think Bernadette articulated that very well. So that was probably my biggest takeaway And just maybe Bernadette. taking a bit of time to think as well that while we're, you know, actively recycling and recycling is great, it's just also maybe thinking a step ahead of that and yeah. maybe looking at ways to prevent the, the waste in the first place. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I suppose to go back to what I had said about, you know, kind of small wins and going yeah. from there, you know, that, that's development from recycling is the fact, as you say, Deirdre, like, can we actually just stop the waste altogether and ha- what's the best way to go about that? So it's just about constantly changing developing on things. Yeah, change in mindset is, is the perfect phrase to use there, I would have said. I suppose, finally, with Fiona's conversation, I just thought it was very relatable. It was practical yeah. and something that anybody listening in really could get a grasp of and get a keen understanding of. So that's why I really enjoyed, I just enjoyed chatting with Fiona in all honesty. And it was, as I said, it was just, a, there was a relatability about the conversation that was quite wholesome for me. Also, I would say it was nice to hear how she went about it. Kind of, she brought us very simply through her own journey. Uh, and that's, it's not as difficult, I would say, as it may seem. So that again was kind of, that's a big worry that I certainly had before I would chat to Fiona and just generally around this topic, you know, constantly being shown the negatives and, you know, it's too hard to do this or it's too costly, whatever it may be. But Fiona just broke it down and she explained it really well. And is there a cost involved? Yes. Is it doable for everybody? I'm not sure, but certainly something that we can all look at at least. And again, when we go back to what we said about Bernadette, we can just consistently develop. And I think that's the main thing I'd like to take away from it. Yeah, and Fiona, I suppose, as well as talking about the future in terms of looking at, you know, down the line, how they could generate energy for themselves and looked at the solar panels and spoke about not just energy efficiency, but being energy independent, which I thought was uh, an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, it was really interesting. Okay, so uh, next week, then, we'll be moving on to our second theme, which is travel. So who will we be hearing from on that uh, Robbie. Yeah, so we'll have a representative from the National Transport Authority. They'll discuss the various initiatives and practices they've put into place to support environmental action. Um, Senior Executive Engineer with the Carlow County Council, Tyg Bannon, will talk about his transition towards becoming an electric vehicle owner. Um, and also Carlow County Councillor Andrea Dalton will take us through her own journey towards becoming an electric vehicle user and how that has influenced her own life decisions from an environmental perspective. Here's a clip from that interview with Andrea. 
obviously there's not a council meeting that goes by that uh, sustainability, um, reducing carbon footprint. Even even the fact that we're changing all our public lighting to LEDs, you know, it, 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 it's a theme that has to run through all policies at this stage. You know, it's not, as I mentioned already, it's not an option, it's a necessity. Now, we just have to reduce carbon usage um, and we all have to think about how, how we live in terms of um, reducing, you know, use of plastics and things like that. That and a lot more to come next week from 6 to 7pm as we continue our journey with local people who are making the changes to their daily lives in the effort to help the climate. A big thank you to all of our guests this evening and thanks of all, thanks most of all to you for listening. That's it from Robbie and myself. Stay tuned for Fully Loaded with Owen Carey which will be coming up after the 7 o'clock news. Follow the leaders, meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. A KCLR production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.